Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean's developer cloud makes it simple to launch in the cloud and scale up as you grow. They have an intuitive control panel, predictable pricing, team accounts, worldwide availability with a 99.99 uptime SLA and 24-7, 365 world-class support to back that up. DigitalOcean makes it easy to deploy, scale, store, secure, and monitor your cloud environments. Head to do.co slash changelog to get started with a $100 credit. Again, do.co slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record the show in front of a live internet audience on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Join in the hijinks at changelog.com slash live and join the community for free and slack with us during the show at changelog.com slash community. Okay, let's do this. Party time, y'all. Hello and welcome to another exciting party, your JavaScript party. It's JS party time. I'm your host today, Nick Nisi, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, uh, K-Ball. K-Ball, what's up? Hey, hey. And we also have the amazing Bone Skull, aka Chris Hiller. How's it going, Chris? Super. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. And we are talking all things Gatsby today. And with that, we have uh, from Gatsby, Dustin Shao. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Really excited to talk about Gatsby. So we did actually have an episode with Jason Langsdorf a year ago about where we talked about Gatsby and kind of introed it. And so uh, just kind of to summarize that, can you give us a brief summary of what Gatsby is? Yeah, of course. So Gatsby is kind of interesting to describe because I think the mental model that most people hold for Gatsby is that of the like static site generators. People will say, oh, it's kind of like Jekyll or it's kind of like Eleventy, And like that piece is true. You know, Gatsby is like an excellent static site generator. But I really think of Gatsby as like a progressive app compiler. So one of the key ideas of Gatsby is that you can source data from anywhere. And then the other key idea is you want to compile ahead of time as much as possible. So the idea with Gatsby is, you know, source data from, you know, insert CMS here, WordPress, Drupal, Contentful, what have you stitch it together with GraphQL. So I think our data layer is like a key piece of what makes Gatsby so interesting and then produce kind of like a read-only clone, basically the static site at build time. And so, uh, you know, Gatsby does generate sites uh, statically, you can write your application with React, with GraphQL, and yeah, you get a super fast website as a result that your users will love. Nice. So it's pretty much made up of, of those two. W- would you condense that into two big pieces, the data layer and then the, the static site? layer that feeds from the data data layer? I think that's pretty fair. I think it's, you know, React as the presentation layer and then GraphQL as the data layer and then it's stitching them together and then compiling them to uh, static HTML. What's really cool and like why why Gatsby isn't just a quote-unquote static site generator is that there's also a runtime that gets shipped, which people have thoughts and opinions on, uh, of course, but maybe we can get into that later. But uh, the idea is that, you know, once it hits the, the, the browser, everything has been optimized as much as possible. But then it's a fully functional, like dynamic React runtime, so that you can, you know, make uh, data requests. You can do um, interactions. You can, you know, do whatever you can in a React application because it produces a React application. I have a question about that. Jumping in already. <laughs> um, so one thing, first off, I love 
the way that we're moving to compile time stuff and we're, we're kind of pre-compiling everything and doing this sort of static site plus approach. But one thing that has come up a couple of times is that often that creates sort of an interactivity gap. So rather than the traditional spa approach of you get a loading screen, you get a loading screen, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then you get something that you can interact with right away. Mm -hmm. We show the user a page right away because we're shipping out compiled HTML. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we're lying because when you try to interact with it, it doesn't work until the thing fully hydrates. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if Gatsby's doing anything, well, first off, how big of a problem does that end up being with Gatsby sites? Like what's that interactivity mm-hmm. gap look like in terms of time? And then two, if there's anything on the radar to address that. For sure. So are you kind of referring to like metrics like TTI? So, you know, like it looks like it might be ready, but I'm still waiting for like JavaScript to load in the background and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, our runtime and, you know, what we ship again is we want to just ship the minimal amount of content, so HTML, JavaScript, CSS, etc., to the end user, so that it is as interactive as possible. As a result, you know, most Gatsby sites you'll see out in the wild, they have like hundreds across the board in Lighthouse. So as far as your actual question, it's really no different than it is in like a React application. So if you're going to ship bunch and bunch and like gobs of JavaScript that like are required for that initial experience, you know, it's still kind of up to the developer to kind of use discretion here. And so in general, I think the problem is less impactful in Gatsby because, you know, again, we do compile ahead of time what can be compiled ahead of time. And, you know, if you're, if like some dynamic interaction or, you know, some, something is loading in the background, generally that's not required for the initial experience. And so, yeah, I haven't seen this as much of a problem in the Gatsby space as I've seen it in other, other different areas. Yeah. That's a really great question. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we often measure that time to interactive. And in fact, I think Lighthouse shows the time to interactive one of the really interesting questions I think Adiasmani published about was the gap between paint time and interactive is in some ways almost more interesting than just what is that time to interactive because that's the this sort of uncanny valley period where it feels like we <laughs> should be able to interact with it, but we can't yet. Yeah, Addy is amazing. So, I mean, if, if you haven't seen his, like, cost of JavaScript, I'm sure you have. I used one of his, like, GIFs in, like, some of my slides in the past. But, yeah, exactly what you're describing is, you know, the user might see this, like, shell that looks like it can be interacted with. And so, they'll click things. And, you know, the classic example is, like, Amazon. So, it looks like Amazon's loading. You're trying to, like, type in the search bar, but you're still waiting for JavaScript to load. So, you know, in general, I think the approach is just load as minimal uh, amount of JavaScript as you can. And so... But yeah, I think that's a really great metric. Like we almost need a set secondary metric that's in between those two. Uh, because yeah, that, that is a really frustrating end user experience. So how much JavaScript do you end up shipping, you know, in a vanilla Gatsby app if I'm not doing very much? That's a really great question. Again, I'm, I'm glad you're asking it. I mean, most of our runtime is React. And so React ends up being, last I checked, I think it's at like 30 to 50k gzipped. And then our runtime itself is like 10 to 15. And that also includes the router. And so I think total, uh, it's like 57 or 58 kilobytes gzipped. Uh, what is kind of cool is because we have such a pluggable ecosystem, which I should have sold that earlier on, you know, I think that's another thing that's really great about Gatsby. There's a, a, a great plugin called Gatsby plugin Preact. I saw Andy Bell tweet about it recently. And so, you know, Preact is doing largely the same kind of like VDOM stuff that React is doing, but also comes in like a much smaller file size. You can drop your bundle size just by switching to that. And do you have to use the JavaScript bundle? I mean, I think it's worth it. There's a really, really great article that uh, one of my coworkers, Mikel, uh, recently wrote on like why Gatsby's better with JavaScript. 
And so we do things like preloading and prefetching so that it makes the actual experience um, not only faster, but it like feels faster. And so, of course, that mm-hmm. requires JavaScript. So in general, I think it's absolutely worth it. I don't even really like to publicize it, but there is a Gatsby plugin that removes the JavaScript. But I think for us, you know, most applications that, you know, real world applications are going to ship to an end user, they require at least some JavaScript. And because I think React is, you know, the best, the best kind of implementation of how I want to write my UIs, which I hope isn't too contentious of a take, but I'm, I'm sure shocked. people have thoughts and opinions on that. <laughs> you know, it makes a lot of sense to me that, <laughs> that I'm going to, you know, want to use some JavaScript in my applications. Yeah, yeah, not a not a very surprising take from oh, yeah. you know someone who works at Gatsby that I'm a big fan of React. Yeah, though I would wonder. So I, I hit you with questions <laughs> early on, but don't get me wrong. I love Gatsby. I love what y'all are doing. Yeah, these are great questions. I'm, I'm like glad you're asking them. They're not easy, you know. No, and I think they're questions that we need to address broadly as an ecosystem. You know, and I think one big area that I'd be curious on. I don't think there's a good React solution for this yet, but maybe there is. Is you know, exploring the potential for progressive hydration. I don't know if that's something that maybe Gatsby could add a layer related to or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, essentially thinking about the hydration process as a top-down approach saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, the things that are on screen to start with need to be hydrated first, and maybe we can, you know, wait until some of the other things come into screen before we do that, pay the cost of all that JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's a lot of interesting ideas in this space. And so for us, like, it's definitely something we're interested in. To be totally honest, like it's something that, you know, we hope the React team helps us out with. And, you know, they they kind of paint a better picture there. One really interesting space that we've done a little bit of exploration is, is kind of like that very thing. And I've seen some other, you know, frameworks, SSGs, et cetera, that do this idea of, um, you know, everything that you render will be static. And then you use a separate component that's like, this is then dynamic. And so I think that's a really cool idea. And it's very much in line with kind of what you're saying. But as far as like, whether we're going to do that, you know, in Gatsby, probably not anytime soon, but I do think it's a very, very interesting and exciting space. And, you know, as React kind of moves into that, us, you know, using React and having first class support for React means we'll kind of get that for free, you know, if and when that, that comes around. Can you build a Gatsby <laughs> site with Rome? Uh, with Rome? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> oh my gosh. The, I was thinking of Rome, the note taking tool. You mean Rome, the, the new bundler, everything, do uh, all things well uh, that launched yesterday. <laughs> you know, actually, it's funny in, in Slack, there's a pretty good thread on it already. So we're definitely like aware of it. It's an awesome, awesome tool. I haven't used it myself, <laughs> but uh, you know, you never know. He's joking about a tool that came out yesterday, and you're saying you already have discussions <laughs> ongoing about it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard about this. What is it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Sebastian McKenzie. He open sourced it last night. And so it's just, it's just kind of a big, it's just a code dump right now. So it's very new is, is what I'm saying. Like less than 24 hours ago. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> you're kind of like trying to catch me <laughs> off guard and making sure I know my JS ecosystem. <laughs> well, yeah. You'd know if you if you were probably, you know, paying attention to Hacker News or Twitter or something. For sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, I haven't used it. I think there are a lot of things that... <laughs> Nobody tools, has this <laughs> thing, so... There are things that other tools can be, like, inspired from in that. And so I've been following, you know, his work on that for the last year or two. Like, the first-class support for, like, air messages and, like, the emphasis he placed on really clear, solid air messages. I think that's something that, like, every framework, every JavaScript tool should, like, strive towards. And so I've been, you know definitely interested in that space and you know yeah when when and if we can use it for something i'll definitely be checking it out does raise kind of an interesting 
pluggability question around Gatsby. So one thing that you highlighted that I think is is really important to think about is Gatsby has these two conceptual layers. There's a very interesting data pipelining layer that does a lot of interesting stuff and packages things up into GraphQL. And then there's a React-based view layer. Do you see any possibility that those two things might be separated and you could have someone be building a Vue.js or <laughs> Svelte or something else based view layer on top of the GraphQL data pipeline? That's a great question. If I recall correctly, Sarah Drosner from Vue opened up an issue on GitHub a while ago, kind of like asking that very question. And so to me, to be totally frank, like I think, again, I think React's the way that applications, you know, should generally be written. But our idea of like sourcing data from anywhere, like it is kind of very much you know, an interesting space of, you know, not only can you source data from anywhere, but then you can also like output using whatever mechanism you want. And so from a product perspective, it's a little challenging because uh, a lot of what we're doing, you know, uh, is React code. And so our runtime would then kind of need to be forked into different languages, different frameworks. So um, is it something that could be done? Yes. Is it something that we plan to do at this time? No. But based on you know, I've definitely been monitoring the view space closely. You know, they're doing a lot of really cool stuff. Svelte is awesome. Rich Harris is like incredible. Well worth a follow on Twitter if anyone doesn't follow him. He's amazing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we'd be foolish to not at least keep that option on the table. But it's not something that we're planning to do now. I mean, it seems to me so much of the, of the Gatsby ecosystem is married to JSX. And you know, mm-hmm. there's MDX and, and everything. It, it's really hard to kind of separate the two at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it something people really want or need? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, it's it's kind of like how we prioritize, like how many people are actually asking for this? Like how closely is the user of Svelte? Like, is that even a user of Gatsby ever? You know, definitely not today because literally not possible, but you know, future state, if that were possible, like, is there even an, an overlap or intersection there? And so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I mean, it'd be definitely cool to do someday, especially if, you know, the competitive landscape changes and, you know, React isn't the way people write their UIs. Um, you know, I, I started my career as a front-end dev and I was writing jQuery, jQuery mobile. And a year later, it was like Angular. And then, you know, now it's not Angular anymore for me. So uh, the landscape changes fast. I think React's here to stay. I think it's kind of stabilized. And it feels to me that are you using React, Angular, Vue? Maybe some people are using Svelte. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting space to keep monitoring. I wonder if we could invert it and say, instead of saying Gatsby has to support all these view layers, instead saying Gatsby is going to, and maybe you already do this, but clarify the interface into the data layer such that someone else could pull that in and use it for a, mm. a different framework, but not having it be something that you know is like, okay, Gatsby now has to do all these things, mm-hmm. change the runtime, but rather you have Gatsby data and Gatsby UI or whatever it is. That's a really, really interesting idea. And so for, for context, one thing I didn't necessarily mention explicitly, or viewers, I guess, is uh, Gatsby invokes GraphQL queries at build time. And so that's the data layer that we're referring. So you write your GraphQL query alongside your React component, and then your React component gets injected with this data. Yeah, it's a super interesting idea on whether we could abstract our data layer into just like a data pipeline, and then swap out the presentation layer. (laughs) (laughs) Again, not something on our roadmap, not something we're thinking about now, but I think it's a really interesting idea. That also raises, you know, you talked about roadmap a couple of times. You've introduced a new process for how you think about roadmap and, and what's going to happen. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So um, Gatsby has like a really thriving community and a thriving ecosystem. We lovingly refer to it as like our GitHub fire hose. So like tons and tons of pull requests, tons and tons of issues. 
that is just honestly fairly challenging, but like really rewarding to stay on top of. And so one thing that, you know, we haven't as of yet captured, uh, at least not like on like a broader scale is so we have, I think last I checked like 3000 ish contributors to Gatsby, which is pretty incredible. And most of the contributions we get, which are always valuable, are like documentation, tests, you know, what I'd call smaller changes. I think we've maybe missed the mark on or that we could definitely use some help with from the community is, you know, broader chunks of work. And so um, the RFC process is, you know, how other spaces do this. So React has an RFC process. Next.js, a similar React framework in the same kind of space we're in, has an RFC process. And so our RFC process, like it's really not so much something necessarily new. It's a tweak on the model. So we had it as a separate repo. We found as open source maintainers, it's really hard to keep a, a pulse on, you know, disparate repos like outside of the main Gatsby flow. And so what we're really looking for is, you know, more eyes on these RFCs by internalizing them into our main monorepo. It's kind of, you know, people look at the Gatsby monorepo, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming, but it's, you know, literally everything we do is in that monorepo. So, you know, we have our starters there, we have all of our Gatsby packages as like a learner monorepo. And then now we'll have RFCs that, you know, if and when they get merged, you know, you can help shape the, the Gatsby, the Gatsby roadmap and propose like a chunk of work that will benefit the broader Gatsby ecosystem. So super exciting process that we're beginning to kind of, you know, experiment with and roll out and uh, we'll kind of see whether we see some, see some success with it. And so, yeah, my, my call to action, you know, for our community is, yeah, if you, if you have a, you know, a great idea, something that you really wanted to be possible in Gatsby and you have some, you know, insight into maybe implementing it. Uh, we'd love to see some more RFCs, love to see some chunks of work proposed. Uh, and I think it's a super exciting thing as a contributor because, you know, you'll get tons of replies from our direct open source maintainer line and uh, we can help guide what this feature could look like, when we should do it, et cetera, et cetera. So you mentioned the you know, broad community around Gatsby, which is wonderful, but Gatsby also is kind of tightly associated in some ways with the company mm-hmm. Gatsby or Gatsby. I don't know what, how you distinguish the names Gatsby Inc. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yep. How much of the core team is embedded within that company and how much like, are there folks who are not connected with the company who are on the core team? Mm-hmm. So the core team, as, as we refer to it is Gatsby employees. Uh, although we do, once you merge a PR into the, once you get a PR merged into the Gatsby repo, you become a maintainer and that gives you a certain level of access in the repo as far as like what percentage of, so for like total context, so Gatsby is an open source product is free. will always be free. And then we have cloud tooling that we can maybe get into in a little bit that, uh, as I kind of describe it, it makes, uh, using the Gatsby open source tool better and easier for teams. And so, uh, as far as the breakdown, I think last I checked, like 30 to 50% of the company is open source. Uh, there's a really great blog post that actually goes into detail on, you know, we're doubling down on the open source ecosystem. So yeah, we open source is and will always be a focus. And it's, you know, a focus of our hiring. It's a focus on, you know, all, all of what we do. And then that work directly leads into a better experience for everyone. Uh, and then cloud also, of course, uses the open source product as well. So, you know, we want our products good for everyone, including ourselves. Algolia powers our search on changelog.com. They're also trusted by awesome companies like Stripe, Twitch, and Slack. 
If you're going Jamstack, add Algolia to the list of APIs you rely upon for search and discovery. They have an awesome developer experience, excellent docs complete with interactive tutorials, an easy-to-use JavaScript client, instant search widgets for React, Vue, Angular, and integrations into all the common backend frameworks. Check Algolia out today using the link in the show notes or head to algolia.com to learn more. So kind of talking about the open source versus the, the business side, uh, you did mention that there's this whole cloud aspect of, of Gatsby. Do you want to give us a, an intro into what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So our cloud product is you know, really composed of a couple of products. The kind of elevator pitch of what I would say Gatsby Cloud is as far as kind of what I you know just said, like Gatsby Cloud makes using Gatsby, particularly for like larger applications and like you know teams of teams of developers working on a Gatsby application, like better and easier to use. So one thing that I've you know kind of hinted at or like shown is I've mentioned how Gatsby plays really nicely with several CMSs, so Contentful, WordPress, etc. And so one of the key things that we're seeing is that the CMS is moving towards decoupled, so the CMS is you know moving towards headless, and so uh, Gatsby is like excellently positioned in this space to be able to source data from these headless CMSs, you know, using these APIs, stitch it together with this GraphQL API, and then produce this application. But when you decouple your you know CMS from your presentation layer, you're kind of leaving your content editors, your, you know, your marketers, your people who are actually using you know these CMSs a little bit stranded. And so our cloud product, as I seeing it, as I see it, it's making the pitch for the developer, is kind of bringing in Gatsby as a tool as easy as possible. So our first two products are Preview. So the idea is that Preview is like a hot reloading Gatsby application that lives in the cloud, and so your content editors can preview their content in context. So if you're writing a blog post, writing a press release, etc., you can click this preview button. This will link to a hosted Gatsby application that will then preview uh, your changes in honestly usually like a couple hundred milliseconds, but sub five seconds is what we strive for. And so the idea is that we're replicating the CMS experience kind of like piece by piece. So I really ask a question. Yeah, digging into that, where would they actually be making those changes? Like where would you be drafting a blog post? Is it on Gatsby Cloud itself or is it on like like a, a CMS that's third party? It's a great question. So you would be making the changes directly on the CMS today. And so like one of our most common partners or most common CMSs that people use with Gatsby is Contentful. And so, you know, the idea is, you know, use the tools that you like to be effective and like keep using them depending on who you are. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to pry WordPress, you know, from my content editor's hands, like use the tools that you like and then stitch them together, stitch these tools outputs, basically content data. Um, and then stitch them together with the Gatsby uh, application, the Gatsby framework. And so, yeah, you know, the, the typical workflow is keep using the tools you like, pull the data with GraphQL with a Gatsby source plugin, and then basically give the same experience to your content editors with a better user experience of, you know, I'm not using my WordPress for hosting. You know, I'm not spending 8K and putting like a varnish edge cache layer, like, you know, put it on a CDN, produce static assets. I think it's a much better model and a much a much cheaper model and a better user experience, I think, as well. Yeah. Is there like a hook that Gatsby Cloud listens to for like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saved a draft of this blog post, now generate a new a new version? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, behind the scenes, you know, as with many things, it's just webhooks. So um, yeah. we have, we expose, one thing I didn't get into is, so that's just preview. The CMS experience is more than preview, it's also publish. And so our hmm. builds product is, you know, the, the fastest builds for Gatsby in the cloud. And so, um, 
uh, when you publish content, you then trigger a build webhook, which can then optionally also deploy to like a CDN, like Netlify, uh, S3 and CloudFront, Google Cloud, et cetera. And so, yeah, to your question though, for Contentful, let's say uh, they have this draft mode, you know, you're making some changes to copy that will trigger the Gatsby preview webhook, which will then hot reload the changes in place and context, which is pretty cool. You brought up Netlify and a lot of the features that you're mentioning here remind me of Netlify. So how do you see yourself as different from them, particularly for somebody who's hosting a or wanting to build a Gatsby focused app? Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, what, what our cloud offering is doing is, is pretty similar to Netlify. So our builds product is continuous deployment in the same way that Netlify has continuous deployment. I think the big difference is that Netlify is a CD solution for any application. You know, they're pretty agnostic, whereas we are a CD application and more, you know, kind of replicating the CMS for just Gatsby. Which, so I think the, the interesting thing is that we can do some things on the open source product that, you know, then... Um, impact cloud, uh, in a, you know, of course, positive sense. And so really it's Netlify is kind of like a generalist who's building out any application. And then Gatsby is specializing in delivering Gatsby uh, applications and the use cases for, you know, for instance, what could be built on Netlify could be different. And so, you know, we're kind of capturing the, the CMS space and that really isn't necessarily, and that includes like preview. And that isn't necessarily a space that Netlify has touched as much. So, you know, we're kind of making a, a platform for, you know, collaboration for teams using Gatsby. And it's a little bit different than, of course, than Netlify, which is, you know, building. And so the, the, the really cool thing that I think is awesome is that, you know, Netlify is an awesome, awesome tool, like recommended super highly, but uh, it also exposes like a CDN. And so the cool thing is that with Gatsby Cloud, you can build your application, you know, with our cloud platform, and then you can even deploy to Netlify. Uh, because we produce static assets that can be deployed anywhere, which is pretty cool. So that lets you, like being more specific with Gatsby Cloud, that lets you specifically tailor that experience to the Gatsby experience. So one of the things that probably is is a big benefit over something more generic like Netlify, from what I've been reading, is builds. And specifically, builds are a lot faster on there. Can you go into to why that is? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that. It's a great, it's a great illustration of you know kind of what what we can do with being more of a specialist in Gatsby applications. So what we launched on the 27th was actually January 27th was our builds product, and so that was you know kind of painting the picture for completion of Gatsby Cloud. And so what we launched uh, on that day is what we call distributed builds. And so what that enables, or you know what that enabled, is of course faster builds. But the how of how we did that is the open source product exposed the communication mechanism over IPC uh, and then cloud can then listen to that communication mechanism and then offload work to you know, cloud. So it's really just lambda functions behind the scenes. And so what that's doing is it's offloading heavy work off of the main core process, you know, single threaded node into a cloud environment. And so what we did is that one of the heaviest and potentially slowest pieces of a Gatsby build is generating responsive images, which again is worth it as something that your users want. Uh, if anyone hasn't checked out the Gatsby image component, check it out. That's kind of what we're, that's why you, uh, you know, are generating these images. And so what you'd often find is that builds were timing out or they were taking like 10, 15 minutes for generating just the images alone. And so by offloading it to the cloud, uh, to the cloud platform, we can one, build out your application faster. And then two, especially on like subsequent builds, we just short circuit that work that we've already done. So you don't redo work that you oftentimes do on other platforms. Can you somehow use this in, in a local build to, to speed up a local build? It's a really great question. And it's something that we definitely want to do. So that same communication mechanism that we enable, 
future state, I think we could totally just offload that to you know those same functions in the cloud from your local machine. So you're asking a lot of really good questions that are kind of uh, highlighting our future deliverables. So that's a really good question. Interesting. So can I dig in a little bit more? You mentioned that you can reuse stuff from the previous build. So does that mean you've gotten to the point where you can do like complete incremental builds? <laughs> We're getting close. So incremental builds has been, and I think will be the holy grail for quote unquote static side generators for a really long time. And so for context, yes. what incremental builds is, um, I think requires some nuance, but I think the mental model that everyone holds is I add a blog post. I just build out that blog post, not my entire application. And so what, what what's really incredible about that is it unblocks, you know, using quote unquote static, static site generators for like more and more, um, interesting use cases. And so like one of the most common is, you know, or one of the most common complaints we hear of users of Gatsby as well. I have a million pages and I don't want to wait 35, 40 you know, minutes for my build to complete when I just am changing a blog post. Or, you know, I have, I have real time edits. You know, I, my content editors are making changes every 10, five, you know, one second and I can't wait for my build to complete. So what incremental build does is, you know, really as I think of it, quite simply, is just fast builds. And so the ultimate goal is that builds are kind of just this seamless, obvious thing that just happened. And so it's something, you know, that we're definitely working on. And uh, we hope to have more to share on that soon. But um, it's a super, super interesting space. And it's honestly what I think tons and tons of users have been asking for since like the entirety of Gatsby as a tool. And so anyone who kind of decouples their, their content from their presentation layer, so using an SSG, um, has asked for this like every framework. You could probably go through GitHub issues for, for anyone and be like, what about incremental builds? <laughs> 100%. I know you just said that you're going to have some announcements soon, but I'd love to poke a little bit at the details there. And if you can't talk about it, you can't. But I think one interesting thing about that is that different types of increments may be differently difficult. Mm-hmm. So changing content within a page is potentially much easier to isolate than adding a new page because adding a new page then has to touch anything that links to it automatically indexing anything like that mm-hmm. whereas within a page you may it may be easier to isolate mm-hmm. so i'm curious as you look towards this do you think you're going to be able to get to a fully general solution or is it going to work for particular use cases mm-hmm. or things like that yeah I'm really glad you asked this question. I think one of the most interesting things about Gatsby isn't the presentation layer, although I think that's great. It's the data layer. And so because we own that data layer, we can then associate which components, which pages then require which data. And so, you know, if I'm a user of Contentful and I add a blog post, I can then know like what work I need to do to like basically make the site consistent. And so a new blog post is, you know, fairly trivial use case. But let's say I'm editing, um, well, let's say I'm editing an existing blog post, like that data is going to come through, we'll kind of like diff in the same way, you know, in some sense that like reactives, uh, and then we'll just generate that page that needs to be updated instead of, you know, the entire application. What is, there are edge cases here, like, I, I don't want to portray a silver bullet like scenario ever, because you could make a data change that then invalidates the entire application. So for instance, I might have a footer component that is has data stores from Contentful or WordPress or whatever. That change would then invalidate, you know, every single page, which then means the application is be regenerated. So again, an interesting space where it's like we want to keep driving down, um, you know, driving towards more and more incremental cases. 
And so, yeah, super interesting space. And yeah, definitely something that we're exploring and, and working on. Interesting. So to kind of dig into that idea a little bit more. So you're talking about essentially creating, if you think about the the virtual DOM as creating a dependency tree of templates to what's happening, you're thinking about that in terms of your GraphQL layer, mm -hmm. you could create a, I don't know what you'd call that, a virtual data layer or something that keeps track of the dependencies between different data points. So you understand if this changes, mm -hmm. here's the minimal set of changes that has to be mm -hmm. re-rendered. Exactly. And what's really cool is that this is how preview works. So I was mentioning earlier our tool called Gatsby Preview. Like that's the central mm -hmm. mechanism that enables that quote unquote hot reloading. And so it's, um, you know, we have this big blob of data, let's say, you know, this tree of data. And so the idea is that, so we know what components are plucking from this tree. And those are the components uh -huh. that we, that we re-render. And so the idea is that previews re-rendering like, hot reloading, you know, in the cloud, incremental builds is re-rendering the build process. And so it's like, just do this work, uh, because we know which pages require which pieces of data. Is that utilizing React's DOM diffing to effectively do that? Like saying, oh, you, you have these it's, components and these props on them have effectively changed. So I need to no, re-render this. Just a kind of like an analogy. Yeah. It's like it diffs in like a set, like it's, it's a diff in the same way or in the same way that, you know, React's kind of like diffing. Gotcha. And actually like, you know, if, Sebastian McKenzie was listening to this. I know they've talked a lot about how it's not just like a VDOM diff. You know, there's more nuance to it. But I'm just saying that, you know, it's entire data set, uh, which components uh, require which data. So we'll kind of dip what change between what was previous state of the world to the new state of the world. Cool. Is that diffing tool intended to be part of what is open sourced as a part of Gatsby? Or is yeah. that maintaining proprietary to the Gatsby Inc.? Yeah, great question. So... We incremental builds requires cloud tooling to kind of to be an effective solution today. Um, and so in the future, we definitely want to uh, at least again explore that space to see what's possible in open source. So you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really interesting. So like earlier, there was, you know, could we use distributed builds locally? And the answer is, you know, not today, but it is something that we want to keep exploring because again, it's a really, really exciting space. Um, one, one kind of like note here is that it's like a super generous free tier, just like other platforms. So you, you will be able to, you know, use all of these features, uh, in Gatsby cloud on a free tier in general. Yeah. I'm just, I'm imagining two or three steps down the line. So if that diffing tool be is, becomes a part of the open source product. So you have this concept of the data layer that includes a way to, understand for any data change what is the set of dependent pieces of data that are changing and you get to that point where you're separating out the da data layer as a package that could be reused for other frameworks like you've just enabled the next generation of static site generators across every framework mm -hmm. not just across one yeah that's uh I'm, I'm glad i'm here on this podcast because you have a lot of you know really really excellent ideas that i definitely want to explore explore more so the answer is, you know, we haven't explored that particular space yet, but uh, something to definitely think about for sure. I feel like I'm talking a lot. <laughs> Anybody else want to jump on this? <laughs> you mentioned one thing that uh, Gatsby Cloud does is image processing. What is it doing specifically? Yeah, no, that's great. Huh. I hope people don't mind that I'm like super diving into the how because, uh, yeah, this is really exciting. So we use an open source product called Sharp. And so Sharp is just a node image processing library. And so um, what we do is... So uh, I'll start with like, the simplest example. You might have a markdown file that has a link to a local image. 
that image is going to exist in your GitHub repo. That image might be a five megabyte JPEG, you know? And so just by linking to that image as like an image with a source tag, you're shipping a five megabyte image to your end users. That's not what your users want. And so they don't know that they don't want that, but they don't want that. So what we do is using this GraphQL layer and utilizing this plugin ecosystem, we uh, use this library Sharp. We'll take this image and then generate the GraphQL query. Um, and then we'll generate the different image sizes. And so different viewports, different DPIs, et cetera. And then that GraphQL query will contain a data shape that you can then directly pass to the Gatsby image component. That data shape includes things like source, source set, et cetera. And then so Gatsby image constructs a picture uh, element with uh, a source and then a source set. And so um, this image transformation, what it's doing is it's generating images in, I believe, three or four different variants and different sizes. It's optimizing them, it's compressing them so that the end user experience, you know, if you've you know seen a Gatsby application, you'll see this like medium-like blur effect. So uh, at build time, we just do the base 64 uh, image. So it's, you know, super small. And then with a, an intersection observer, once you uh, scroll that image into the viewport, you then load in the uh, image that you need for your viewport. So on mobile, you know, you get a smaller image on desktop, you'll get a, you know, a larger image. But the end user experience is that it's happening, you know, behind the scenes using this JavaScript layer. Uh, and then, you know, it's loading just what you need when you need it. I kind of think of Gatsby uh, and like this, this particular example as like, like a friendly butler. Like, hey, I think you might need this. Okay, cool. Now it's ready. And so we're trying to guess, you know, using smart optimizations when something is ready based on when the user requests it. Are those image sizes and variants dependent on how I'm using the image in, in the app? Like, is it, if it knows that it's like a big banner image, so it should have a really big size, is it detecting like the actual size that it would be in the viewport and then doing that? Yeah, it's a great question too. It, it's all configurable. So because this is the mechanism for when these images are created is uh-huh. a GraphQL query. The GraphQL query just takes arguments. And so the arguments could be, so for, for like a hero image, you might say, well, my users are typically on like a 1200 to 1500 pixel monitor. So my max width, this actual argument, will be 1200, which will be pixels. So that'll be the largest image that you create. And then of course it'll like stretch because it's an image based on, you know, however large you make it or however small you make it. So it's totally, you know, in, uh, in some sense manual, but it's like giving the developer the control as to where this image is used in context. So like, you know, you can use Gatsby image and this image transformation layer for like what are called fixed images. So think like an avatar as well. So, you know, you still are only loading a small, like, you know, less than one kilobyte image at, at load. And then you're loading in the full image, you know, when you, when you scroll down to it or when you request it. Is that image API, I think I missed this. Is that something that is specific to the Gatsby cloud version? Mm-hmm. Nope, it's okay. totally open source. When you write the GraphQL query, what actually happens is that that will then use the Gatsby Transformer Sharp okay. plugin. And that Gatsby Transformer Sharp plugin will use the Sharp library to then generate the images in you know whatever dimensions I want. And that works in the open source project gotcha. like perfectly. And so the idea is that we're offloading that very process uh, to a cloud function in cloud instead of uh, relying on the single-threaded you know node process that runs on like a user machine. But yeah, I honestly think you know I've seen so many sites that have like a five or ten megabyte like hero image, and so I'm just waiting for you know that image to load. Or you know even worse is I refresh the page or something, and then like an image below the fold is like loading in, and my my page jumps. And so Gatsby image prevents both of those because we know what the image size is. And so we'll load in that small, you know, base64 image so that you don't see those weird jumps. You get this nice, you know, 
Facebooky, mediumy, like blur in effects. And it's like a really great user experience without, you know, having to be an expert in that like image optimization space. And honestly, like, uh, I don't think a lot of people even know about the picture element. And like, if you haven't checked it out, like go check it out. It's really, really cool. And so I think that's one of the cool values of Gatsby is, you know, we kind of are the performance experts. So it's like, Hey, you know, here's how the web should be. Like, here's an optimized image, like, looks like for the end user experience. And you don't have to be that same expert to get that benefit, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, it's always nice when when the tool will push you towards the standard that you should know about and should be using. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. You know, I, I saw and heard that Jason Langsdorf was on this podcast like a year ago or something. And he said this a lot. I don't know if it's a Jason original, but I'll give him tons of credit once say it is Jason original. But it's like, make the right yeah. thing the easy thing. And I think that's kind of what we do with Gatsby, which is pretty cool. If you like this show and you aren't listening to The Changelog, hey, let's fix that bug. The Changelog is our flagship show and we've been doing it for over a decade. Adam and I seek out and interview the people who are pushing the world forward with software. We dive deep into the hacks, the innovations, and the leadership required to do what these amazing people do. One recent example is our conversation with Anders Damsgaard, a climate scientist from Denmark who gave us a peek inside his work and how he scratched a common itch he has when gathering academic research from around the web. Here's a dorky moment from that episode. Are you trying to be right or are you trying to solve the world's problems? Exactly. (laughs) If you're a scientist trying to be right, well then your right may not actually be the right. Yeah. Exactly. There's another saying, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Mm, I like that one. There's another saying, all models are wrong, except for mine. Mine's correct. (laughs) (laughs) We had a lot of fun with Anders. He's a fascinating guy. Continue listening at changelog.com slash podcast slash 378. Or search for The Changelog on your favorite podcast app and find the episode called Open Source Meets Climate Science. So something that you said in that last piece talking about images and how it's all configurable got me wondering how configurable or accessible to developers is the Gatsby cloud build process? And I have a particular use case in mind, something that I built for a site that I am hosting on Netlify. Mm -hmm. For each page, there's a thumbnail that if that thumbnail doesn't exist in my repository during the build process, it will auto-generate it. Mm -hmm. So it'll auto-generate a thumbnail for every page that does not already have one, at least within the context of blog pages. Mm -hmm. So I did that. They have these various ways that you can sort of hook into the build process Mm -hmm. as you go. And I'm kind of curious what Gatsby Cloud makes available to folks. So without being intimately familiar with that exact use case and kind of like, you know, seeing the code and the kind of what you're trying to do, it sounds like that's something that you would do in the open source product. And because the cloud product just uses, you know, all the hooks, all the APIs that the open source product uses, it would just work in cloud. And so that to me, based on kind of what you're saying, sounds like it could be like a Gatsby plugin. And so you could write that plugin, you know, add it to your repo or, you know, better yet, like future state, you know, Galaxy Brain is published it to the open source ecosystem. And then, you know, let everyone get that benefit. And so, again, you know, this is a bit caveated because I don't know the exact use case, but that's probably how, how I would recommend doing it. And so cloud being a consumer of the open source product would just work the same way. 
Awesome. So in some ways, then your statement for how would you hook into the build process is do it as a part of the general Gatsby build process. Cloud doesn't do anything different. Mm -hmm. It's just an extension does it for you magically. Exactly. Yeah, it's get it working in your Gatsby application. And that same process will, you know, quote unquote, just work in cloud. Yeah, so it sounds like your use case is so some blog posts don't have an image, and then you just generate that image on the fly. Is it like based on the blog post contents? Or is it like a placeholder yep. image? Oh, cool. Yeah, it's based on the content. Jason Lengstorf, again, it's coming up again. He did some really interesting things about generating like an SEO image, which is pretty cool. And so he generated, you know, he had a consistent, I think it's just his face, which is kind of funny. But it's like his face on the card, and then like the blog post title, and then like a short little description. This is very similar, though I got it from uh, Sean Wang Swix. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, doing a similar thing, but yeah, funny how it all coalesces. So um, it's a small world. He wrote it. At, he wrote it as like a React component, and then it hooks into Cloudinary to like kind of generate that behind the scenes. I think even better yet is that could be a Gatsby plugin that will then generate that. So <laughs> I'm getting really into the weeds. So I can broaden it up if we need to. But Gatsby has these low-level node APIs. And then those node APIs are then what makes a plugin do something. And so the idea here is that you could listen to when a node in Gatsby is created. So when a blog post is created, and then you could, at build time, construct that SEO image or that you know blog post image. And so that plugin would, again, just work in cloud. Another question, since we're in Kval Asks Questions this episode, <laughs> apparently. So I was reading through the post that y'all did around like all the cool stuff that you did in 2019 and what's coming in 2020. And I noticed there was a huge focus on developer experience <laughs> and DX. <laughs> and I didn't see as much talking about user experience and user-facing stuff. Mm -hmm. And that may be because you feel like Gatsby's already rocking that and you're focused entirely on the DX. But I wanted to ask, what is currently missing in the Gatsby experience for developing amazing user experiences? Yeah. Are there things where Gatsby needs some work or that is on the roadmap mm -hmm. or in discussion, but not there yet? Yeah, I have a first clip answer and then I'll make it less clip. So the user experience, uh, because Gatsby uses React, it's like there's probably a component for it in that space that does like exactly what you're doing. And so by, by user experience, you mean like nice components and then like a nice interaction like in the application. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Potentially. I'm thinking about, so when we talk about developer experience, mm -hmm. we're usually talking about how do we make it faster, easier, better for a developer to build what they're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, are there places that some of what we talked about earlier, places where you can reduce, improve performance, reduce uncanny valleys, places where it's hard to do some particular type of user facing thing, mm -hmm. places that Gatsby is perhaps not the best fit from a user perspective, even if for a developer, it would be delightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So generally, that's why we're a framework on top of React. So we provided the right bells and whistles so that the user experience is as optimized as possible. And so you're talking a little bit about performance optimization because of course that has an, an, an impact on user experience. So it's like, you know, you don't have to be a Webpack expert to get an optimized performance application with Gatsby. And so some really interesting things in this space, we actually did do, I don't know if they're encapsulated in this blog post or not. Oh yeah, they are. So some like user facing things is accessible routing. And so because we internalize the router, we use Reach Router today. And so we actually did a really focused effort on making Gatsby 
as accessible as possible by default. And so, of course, accessibility is like a spectrum. You know, it's not like, oh, cool, my app's accessible, I'm done. You know, there's leveling, there's varying, varying degrees. Well, what we do with Gatsby is we kind of optimize because we are the framework, we are the compiler, um, as much of that space as possible. And so what's cool about that is, you know, you don't have to change your application to get those benefits. You just build, you upgrade your version of Gatsby and then you get them for free. So to your actual question as to, you know, what things are maybe slated for for more areas of improvement in user experience. Generally, I think we're hitting the mark there. You know, it's um, we kind of optimize the things that we know about. We provided the right level of, you know, abstractions or right, yeah, right. I, I mean, it is a component at the end of the day, but the right level of nuance that you need for a good user experience. But it's definitely something that we'll, you know, we're always thinking about. So, like one of our key, you know, reasons are CEO Kyle always says like. You know, Gatsby is a tool that for him is a way to like create like delightful user experiences. And so it's like we want to give the users all the control, all the power, all the right level of abstractions so that they can do that without being, you know, a performance expert or without being an accessibility expert or, you know, thing X, thing Y, thing Z. So definitely a good question. You were talking about plugins. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on cool plugins that people should check out or really interesting community provided plugins for Gatsby? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would recommend going to gaspyjs.org forward slash plugins. So they're ranked by popularity, which honestly is probably not the best ranking mechanism. Uh, I think there are some really cool ones. So one of the nice things about having a plugin ecosystem is that you can encapsulate like a fairly complex thing uh, or a fairly complex use case in a plugin that you can just get by NPM installing it to a Gatsby config. So like some of my favorites, I like Gatsby plugin offline. That will then generate a service worker kind of do some like PWA type things and we'll kind of cache your application offline once it's been accessed. And so again, you know, any developer who has used or written service workers is like, oh, there are some dragons here. And so what's kind of cool about Gatsby plugin offline is we have vanquished at least all the dragons that we know about. And so just by adding that plugin, you know, you get this nice offline experience. Gatsby plugin manifests, same space. You know, it's, I think a lot of the application space is moving towards making it more aligned with the web. And so this whole notion of PWA's progressive web apps, like with just those two plugins, you get a, a pretty great progressive web app experience just by NPM installing. Beyond that, uh, there's a lot. I mean, you know, uh, kind of whatever you'd like to do or whatever you'd want to do, there's probably a plugin for it. I think we have, you know, nearly 2,000 plugins, which is pretty incredible. So for me, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm coming here with like a lot of opinions and like hot takes, but I'm a big CSS and JS fan. And so there's like a lot of really cool plugins that, you know, it's, I like the developer experience, but oftentimes, you know, there's like a runtime cost. And so with these Gatsby plugins, you can then generate uh, ahead of time, you know, that CSS file based on CSS and JS and then statically optimize it as much as possible. So for instance, like there's a Gatsby plugin style components. And so the idea is that, you know, use these abstractions that you as a developer likes, but then don't ship the cost of those abstractions to your end user. Um, and so I think those are great ones too. Gatsby plugin TypeScript, you know, previously mentioned Gatsby plugin React, you kind of, you know, get a smaller bundle size. I think those are awesome great ones. As far as like user generated ones, it's honestly hard to get like a handle on them because there's so many. And so some of the cool ones that have been, I mean, like even the ones that are in our repo, some of them have been contributed by users like originally. And so not only, uh, have they been, you know, the initial creation of them, but then also the, some of the maintenance, some of the, hey, I found a bug, and then, you know, a user comes in and, and fixes it for us. So uh, that's, again, the value of being open source and having that great community behind us, which is 
Just yeah, totally. Really amazing. I, I kind of tying into that, uh, into my next question is, is, have you seen any like crazy or unusual use cases for Gatsby? I'm thinking, you know, when I think about it, I think about, I'm going to try rewriting my <laughs> blog with Gatsby. But yeah. uh, going beyond that, I know it's way more powerful. What are some cool use cases yeah. that you, you've maybe seen or, or have thought about? Yeah. Uh, okay. So first, I, I'm going to comment on the blog one because I love it and I can refer to a great <laughs> meme. So <laughs> I don't know if anyone follows Mark Algeish on Twitter. He's like <laughs> oh, the, meme, the meme master. <laughs> so one of my favorite ones he ever did is he talked about uh, writing a blog uh, and he was like, oh, I'll use TypeScript and I'll use Emotions, he does JS library and I'll use like Webpack for like a blog that has three posts. And I was like, well, you don't really need this stack for, you know, a static blog is not particularly interesting. Of course, again, you know, Gatsby is a good use case for it. I get the memes pretty funny. As far as like actual, you know, like novel use cases, it sounds a little um, arrogant. I think there's a kind of cool one I wrote called Gatsby Mail. And so it's, you know, people think of Gatsby as its SSG. So it's like, hey, you know, you can do apps with Gatsby. And so it's just a React application. And so um, the idea is that you generate as much as possible upfront ahead of time. And then you can, you know, you have like a login experience. I use this tool called OneGraph, which is, again, a GraphQL. It's kind of like a GraphQL stitching service. So I can query from Twitter, from, you know, GitHub, from Gmail. And so uh, I did a small little, you know, Gmail clone in, in two days. So clearly it's not Gmail level, but I think that's a pretty interesting one. Uh, it's open source. Look for Gatsby Mail. Uh, as far as other interesting Gatsby applications or, you know, use cases I hadn't seen. Yeah. Can I chime in with one? Yeah, yeah that'd be great. There are some stunning e-commerce sites out there because mm. e-commerce is one of these areas where we know there's hard data behind how performance impacts revenue and money and conversions and all of that. And there are some examples of e-commerce sites that are just so incredibly fast, you cannot believe it, and built with Gatsby. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I didn't want to get too brand brandy, but yeah, if you go to our site showcase, some of the more common ones are e-commerce applications. And so, yeah, exactly what you're saying. E-commerce applications, especially, you know, there's like a real dollars and cents value loss in if your site's slow. And so the optimization, you know, the kind of decoupling from your source of content uh, makes for some really, really great you know, e-commerce applications. I think, I think one of my favorites is Harry's, uh, the Razor. There is a women's variant called Flamingo, I believe. And it's a really great application. You can kind of see some of the benefits of Gatsby and that like, you get that like responsive image loading, you know, gets great lighthouse scores out of the box. So I also think Flamingo is another good one. So yeah, I'll share these links in Slack, but yeah. This reminded me of another question that I have uh, that I think I asked Jason about a year ago and the answer was, well, not right now. And so I'm curious if the answer has changed, which is Gatsby has this incredible data layer we've been talking about that is all happening at build time. Is there anything to expose that kind of data aggregation and that GraphQL layer at runtime? Mm-hmm. Or if you're, for example, building out some of these applications that are more full-featured that have some pieces that cannot be statically rendered, mm-hmm. but still may need to access mm-hmm. some of that data? Yeah, so I would say, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny because the answer really hasn't changed there yet. So being in the React space and you know, we're, because you're using GraphQL, we're kind of placing a bet there. And kind of like we're saying that in general, you know, our application should be written in React and then your data layer should be sourced in GraphQL. 
And so we're seeing like a proliferation of GraphQL APIs. And so the runtime handling piece there is, you know, just use a GraphQL library in the React space. And then you can, because it's a dynamic application, you can then swap in, you know, a component that might have a GraphQL connection to your actual API. As far as like exposing our GraphQL API, I think the really interesting space, and there's actually a CMS that's doing this, is generate ahead of time as much as you can. And then also like listen, you know, with this GraphQL API with this, you know, shared component. So I think it's um, Prismic. Uh, yeah, I believe it's Prismic. And so Prismic works pretty well with Gatsby. And so they're actually doing that. There's more to figure out there because there is a runtime cost to that. You know, you're, you're loading this, this bundle of JavaScript. And so the benefit is relatively clear to the end user. It's like I added content and I don't need to wait for a rebuild. Like everything's up there. The idea is, you know, future state is what if you don't have to wait for a rebuild? What if your rebuild is like instant? You don't need to listen for that change. Yeah. The use case that I'm interested in is for, for example, gated areas. Yeah. My understanding, and maybe this has changed too, but my understanding is to create a gated area within a Gatsby application, you basically make it client-side only. You don't pre-render. Well, define what you're gating. Are you defining the whole experience or like a portion of it? An authenticated set of pages. Mm -hmm. Or a you know logged in experience something like that like those are all client side rendering if there is content that can be generated ahead of time you know you you can and then you can still gate it just you know by by virtue of authentication and like using an api you are right though that you know let's say that you want you know once you authenticate then you have content that requires an api it can't be built at build time that that is in gatsby land uh what's called client only routes and so gatsby mail is an example of that it's like we can't generate your emails ahead of time because we don't know what they are. We don't know who you are. And so that is, you know, value, I guess, of using React is that in Gatsby, it's a client-only route. Use whatever data fetching mechanism that you like. Use whatever auth library you like. Could use Auth0. Could use, you know, your own one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works just fine. But if you want to mash that content up with some of the stuff that you're preloading in the data layer, mm-hmm. right now, as I understand it, your SOL, you've got to go back to those original sources mm-hmm. to load as far as I know, you can get the best of both worlds. So those, like, you're, you know, if you think of, like, a user page, if there is something that can be fetched ahead of time, that will be rendered ahead of time. And then once it launches, then it's a React application. And so if you're rendering your footer and your header and hero image, and then, like, the body within is then the authenticated content, that would work just fine. Um, it depends on the use case. It depends on exactly what you're doing. And I don't want to make too strong of a commitment because there's nuance to anything, like, Person X's use case could be a little bit different and that answer wouldn't hold true. But generally, that's that's what I like to do. Can you pass that preloaded GraphQL content into the authenticated region? Because So the example that I'm thinking of is there's some amount of content here that is, or data that is global mm-hmm. and so could be pre-rendered. Mm-hmm. There's some amount that is authenticated or, mm-hmm. or you know, shielded. Mm-hmm. And it's not as simple as gating that by component because they are mashed together in some mm-hmm. way. And so in my ideal world, I can use the same, I could basically use that pre-fetching layer mm-hmm. for everything that's applicable, even if it's going into a piece of content that can't be pre-rendered. Yeah, because we're in the React space, everything is really a component. So let's say that you have this component that is, let's say it's called the user or like, uh, I don't know, admin or something, something that would require a login to, to gate. So that component can, it's just a regular React component. So you can pass in props 
from something that has been statically generated. So because we invoke every React component with the results of the GraphQL query, you could then just use it at the call site. So that has a downside that that's like props threading. So it's like at your base level, you have to pass this all the way down and that can be a little burdensome. What Nick was referring to earlier, like, you know, what we launched in 2019, one of the coolest ones, I think, is what's called use static query. So it's a React hook that you can then query at build time uh, with that GraphQL data. And you can use use static query in a React component. Oh, got it. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So you basically, you generate your, your query at build time. It's going to load. And then you have a hook to pull that into whatever component, which could be down inside your authenticated stack or something like that. Exactly. So from, you know, main layout down to, you know, sub footer component, like you can use use static query, any layer to kind of like thread in whatever you need. And so static query as a, like already existed as a component, but the hooks API makes it really easy to consume. So that's again, like pure developer experience. That uh, is a really nice feature of, of Gatsby. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question though. Cool. I have one more question uh, to kind of end us on, and that is uh, going back to the the open source side. What's the best way to get started contributing to Gatsby? Would that be to, you know, just go into the repo and start looking at issues, find tests to to write, or would it be to get started with the RFC process? Yeah, that's great. So generally, I think the RFC would be for someone who's kind of more familiar with the Gatsby repo and really the Gatsby space and kind of like what we're looking for. But that being said, you know, if that's if that's where you start this journey, like that'd be amazing too. Like I'm never gonna preclude someone from starting there. So for someone who's kind of getting up and running with Gatsby and wants to kind of contribute, we try to label as much as possible all of our issues with good first issue. There's actually a really cool fan line utility called good first issue, shockingly. So you can run like npx good dash first dash issue and then space name of the project. So npx good first issue Gatsby. And that will then show a list of like where you could get started. And so I think that's probably a really great way. Those are the ones. So they're categorized as good first issue, like intentionally, of course. They don't require as much context. They generally aren't, you know, something like deep core internal thing that's like a little harder to discover and, you know, requires a fair amount of context. And so that's a really great way to start. What's also amazing, and I'm like really like proud we have this program, is we have pairing sessions with the community. And so Generally, we want you to come with an idea or something to like work on, not just like, what is Gatsby? You know, that's a little, a little harder and like better served in like a video or something. You can actually go to our website uh, and I can share this link in Slack. But um, if you just look for uh, community pairing sessions, you can sign up with an open source maintainer and we'll kind of walk you through, you know, getting your first contribution into Gatsby, which is pretty cool. So I think those are the two, you know, best ways to get started, of course. You know, many of the core maintainers, Gatsby in general, you know, is really open and welcoming to the community. So reach out to us on Twitter, you know, let us know if you have an idea and we'd love to help guide you through your first contribution. Awesome. I love that idea of being able to pair with a maintainer. Yeah. 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 Super cool. For sure. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome, especially when, you know, we can take someone without Gatsby context, kind of like help level them up. Like, I think that's been... There's been a couple of examples of when we've taken someone from, you know, what is Gatsby to uh, making a core change that required some context. And I think one of the key ways is through that pairing session. So it's been really successful several times. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Dustin, for joining us this week. Definitely check out Gatsby. It's a really cool project and can't wait to check in with with the team next year. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Well, thanks for joining us for another great party, a JavaScript party, and we will see you next week. And thank you for listening to this episode of JS Party. We appreciate your time and your attention. 
If this show has helped you, entertained you, or brought you joy in any way, we would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Believe it or not, those reviews help more developers like yourself find the show. Special thanks to Dustin for bringing his knowledge and our friends at Gatsby for working with us. This episode was hosted by Nick Nisi with K-Ball and Chris Hiller playing wing. It was produced by Jared Santo. That's me. And our farm fresh beats are brought to you by BMC. Ooh, I was a poet and I didn't even recognize the fact that I was. Thanks to Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar for helping us do what we do. That's all for now. We'll talk to you next time. Alexa, do not disturb. I won't disturb you.